Howdy folks, this is Jimmy Aiken, and I wanted to let you know about a special offer. When you become a patron of the Cordial Catholic Podcast at $8 or more a month, Keith will send you a copy of my new book, The Bible is a Catholic Book. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. Hi, hey, welcome to the Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and if there was one thing that I noticed as I was journeying into the Catholic faith, as I was exploring Catholicism after some prompting questions by some Protestant pastors I knew, it was how little Catholics knew their faith, how little I, as an evangelical Christian, knew about the Catholic faith. I believed all kinds of crazy myths about the Catholic faith. Things that, as I began to look into Catholicism, turned out to be completely wrong, often sometimes completely backwards. And these were things that were often, many times, believed by the Catholics that I knew. So no one had good information. This podcast is meant to fill in those gaps. We have Catholic conversations with Catholic thinkers from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Stacy Trasankos to talk about the supposed conflict between science and faith, science and religion, science and Catholicism. Dr. Trasankos is a convert to Catholicism herself. She has a PhD in chemistry, an MA in dogmatic theology, and she has been writing for a number of years now on the intersection of these interesting topics. She speaks so well and provides so many fantastic insights on how we as Catholics, as she says, are missing an enormous opportunity for evangelization by fearing science, by putting science and faith at odds. Because, as she says, they're not. And if we understand faith and science properly, how science points towards faith, points towards God and Christ and a creator, well, we can use that as a tool for evangelization. She knows this well and speaks so well about this. It's a fantastic interview. I think you'll love it. And I think you'll see, as I say in the interview, why she was somebody who I wanted to interview so badly at the top of my list when I began this podcast. It was fantastic to talk to her. Pilgrimage is something everyone should experience. You leave behind your normal life and travel on a spiritual journey to a sacred place. You open yourself up to God's providence, giving Him the space to enrich and enliven your faith. This podcast is sponsored by Select International Tours and Cruises, who have organized Catholic group pilgrimages for 33 years. If you'd like to lead a group, or if you'd like to join one that's already booked, head over to selectinternational.com slash cordial to learn more. Thanks so much to Select International Tours for sponsorship of this show, and I encourage all of you to check out their website and check out the pilgrimages they are offering, because supporting the sponsors helps us support this show and the work I'm doing. It's selectinternationaltours.com slash cordial. Thanks so much to Select International Tours and Cruises. Thanks as well to my patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. You guys are the core that keeps this show running. Even one or two dollars a month helps to pay for podcast hosting fees and all the other associated costs with running this podcast. I am so blessed and so humbled to have an amazing team of patrons supporting this work, and it's growing every week. Thanks so much, guys. And I have a special announcement as well for those patrons. I'm launching a new second show for patrons only. It'll be a kind of behind-the-scenes look at the podcast. I can talk about some things we are doing behind the scenes and some guests that are coming up and interesting stories and what's going on with The Cordial Catholic. I think the patrons will really enjoy the the behind-the-scenes show, and if you want to hear it as well, please help support the show over at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. Even $1 a month gets you access to the the behind-the-scenes show. Thanks so much. With no further ado, here's my fantastic interview with Dr. Stacey Trasenkos. Please listen and enjoy.
Welcome back to the podcast. Dr. Stacey Trisankos is a convert to Catholicism. She is an author, speaker, and educator in the topic of theology and science. She holds a PhD in chemistry, an MA in dogmatic theology, and is a teaching fellow in Bishop Barron's Word on Fire Institute. She is the executive director for the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization for the Diocese of Tyler in Texas, and her fantastic book, Particles of Faith, will be released in a new student edition later this month. Dr. Trasenkos, I know I missed something because you are very, very busy, but welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've got to tell you something first right off the bat. Um, and this is, I don't know, embarrassing, but when I was first uh, thinking of doing this podcast and putting it together, I made a list of all of my, my dream guests. And if I'm honest with you, it's a little embarrassing, but you were, I think, the first name on that list in, in the biggest font. So I truly am excited to have you here. Uh, thank. I'm very humbled by that. I uh, That's a surprise to hear, but thank you so much. I um, I exercise just about everything I say on raising our seven children. So I have to credit them and my husband and my German shepherds that walk with me for if I have anything to say that's worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know the feeling. I, I often am walking around the house rehearsing thoughts and podcast ideas. And, my, and our son says, Daddy, who are you talking to? <laughs> uh, at first he said that. Now he knows I'm talking to the imaginary podcast audience. <laughs> yes, yes. We're always thinking of the audience. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Um, I want to begin on the ground floor, as it were, with this notion of faith and science. And the the common idea, and this is very prevalent, I think, in our modern secular worldview, in the modern secular worldview, and I think it's unfortunate, it's just taken for granted by so many people, believers and unbelievers, Catholics and non-Catholic Christians, and the idea is that faith and science stand at odds with each other. What can we say, what can you say right from the beginning about this apparent conflict between faith and science? Well, I say that we as Catholics need to be so over it. Like it's tired, <laughs> it's old. <laughs> All the cool people are not talking about that anymore. We've moved on. But um, it's just, it is so, and I'm, I'm saying that because it's frustrating. Um, because I actually talk to high school students a lot. I go around and talk at different Catholic high schools. And I tell you what, the students in high school who've been raised as Catholics, they've never had a problem accepting that God created everything. Like, you know, they know that when they go to biology class, they're studying nature. They know that nature is creation and they know that God created creation. So they don't, they kind of look at me funny, which surprises me. Um, because when you hear the atheist or the the more the louder populist out there talk about it, it sounds like all these Catholic young people are leaving the faith for science. But I don't really see that when I go to Catholic high schools. Um, I've even had I even had secular high school teachers come up and thank me for the sane view of just accepting that God created everything. And when we do science, we're just studying the handiwork of God which is pretty cool when you think about it like that. But the the myth that there is a conflict was really started on purpose. And if you look at the entire stretch of human history, it's a rather new conflict myth that's on stage. Like it, it was on purpose by people who were uh, wanted to get, they intentionally wanted to get the message out that the church specifically, and then that led to all Christians, but specifically the Catholic church is against science. And you know how it goes with propaganda. The message just kind of stuck. Uh, a, a really great way I've heard it explained by Dr. For Christopher Baglow, who's at the University of Notre Dame at the McGrath Institute. He explains it, that it's kind of like if you are if you are new to a town, which is analogous to being born in this time and place, if you're new to a town and you, you hear that like Susie and Johnny are fighting that day, because you saw them fighting, you might think that they've always been enemies, but you would be wrong. It's just, and, and that's kind of how it is with science and faith. We're born in this time when there was this propaganda that stuck, that faith and science are in conflict. 
But if you study history and look back even further, you see something absolutely opposite of that and remarkable, that science was actually born in a Christian culture in the Christian West, in the early Catholic universities. Science was born as a discipline where we studied and mathematized objects in motion in nature um, because those Christians prayed the creed. They knew that that nature is creation. And when they started to figure out that you could apply mathematics to the motion of objects, they started to realize that nature actually behaves according to a set of laws, which wasn't all that shocking considering their worldview. Um, and in I study the work of Father Stanley Yockey. His life's work was to promote this thesis that science was born of the of Christianity. And he goes even back further than the scientific revolution, all the way back to antiquity, and shows how no other religion had that same worldview. I mean, we kind of take it for granted today as Catholics. We just pray the creed and yeah, the universe, you know, science is ordered, studies an ordered universe. But before the before modern science and even back before Christ, before the time of Christ, the ancient religions all viewed the universe as this eternally cycling cosmos in some way or another. They had different creation myths. But Christianity alone, because of the revelation of Christ, with the incarnation and the revelation of the Holy Trinity, in the beginning God created everything, and in the beginning was the word, order, rationality. Um, that worldview is actually directly responsible for the birth of modern science. And that's really fun to say to atheists. <laughs> <laughs> that's really remarkable uh, to hear, uh, you know, from somebody who is a scientist and a, and a Catholic uh, with, with a degree in dogmatic theology, because you don't hear that often. There is this apparent opposition between faith and science, but to hear that it was faith that Christianity, that, that birth science, that's a truly remarkable and, and refreshing thing. It's a, I love teaching this. Like I have a class at Seton Hall University called the Theology of Science, because instead of there being a conflict, I just put the two words together. There's actually a correct theological worldview for us to be able, be, even be able to do science. And an atheist will admit, if you ask them very nicely, that yes, they know they have to adopt the Christian worldview to be able to conduct the scientific method. How do you like that? <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you know, I've had many of them admit that, you know, and it, it's a pretty profound thing to get your head around. Um, but that that's the cure. I mean, if, if kids are just grown up knowing and confidence, yes, when we pray the creed, we really mean it, that God really did create everything and everything you learn in science, everything, every last particle, every last cosmic discovery, it's all studying creation. And so when you look at it like that, it just changes everything. There's no way science could ever contradict our faith or disprove that God exists or, you know, it takes all those questions off the table. Yeah, you know, it really does. And that point of view, I'm, I'm thinking about that now, that kind of perspective then uh, kind of arms you in a way or frees you of the worry that, oh my goodness, you know, what scientific discovery that comes along next might totally shake my faith. You know, you, you orient yourself knowing that, no, okay, God is the creator of all these things. These laws are from him. These laws obey him, you know, so nothing, nothing's going to come out to just shatter your faith because it all comes from God. He created it. Yeah. I call it inoculating young people from the confusions of atheism. <laughs> and it's just like, give them a little shot there and make sure that they are not going to be confused. Do you know where I got that though? I love, can I tell the story? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I actually got that. Like I said before, walking around the house, talking to our kids, right? I got that from my son when he was four because I was writing Particles of Faith and I was trying to think, you know, like what's the one line that summarizes my main message, everything I really want to say about this subject. And I, could, I couldn't quite get it down to that one line. It just kept seeming so complicated. And one night I was with my son. So our older children were all out with their dad and it was just 
JJ and me, his name is JJ, and the book's dedicated, that's why it's dedicated to JJ. Um, we were just in the kitchen and he was having spaghetti and he was forced. So I said, JJ, since nobody else is here, I want you to say the prayer on your own and the blessing. And at that time, he also had grown up hearing me talk about atoms because I, I, I like to talk about atoms. I love chemistry and I was teaching chemistry online. So I would sit in front of the computer every day and teach these online classes and he heard me say over and over that everything's made of atoms in the physical realm. And so it was really sticking with him. You know, he would be like, is my arm made of atoms? And I'm like, yeah, it is JJ. It, it, you know, he was trying to envision these little tiny particles that make up his arm and things like he would throw the ball at the wall and hit the wall. And I'd say, stop throwing things at the, in the house. And he would say, I'm just smashing atoms, mom. <laughs> and, he was like, you know, one time he had to go to the bathroom. He came running past me, pushed me out of the way. I have to go pee Adams. And, you know, he was just like totally getting his head around the fact that everything that we touch and see and breathe and, and our bodies are all fundamentally made of these indivisible particles we call atoms. And he thought that was so cool. And he could understand it at age four. Well, when he got to that night and he was going to pray, he said, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy atoms, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord, amen. And I said, that's it right there. Because like you were saying a while ago, Keith, he looks out. We do this as Catholics. We look at the bounty before us, the the chemical products on the table that we're about to eat called meals. And we say, thank you, God. We don't look at what we're about to eat and say, Hmm, I wonder, I wonder if this, this lasagna proves God exists because it's so ordered or, Hmm, I wonder if these Brussels sprouts prove there is no God because of evil and suffering in the world. You know, we don't look at our food and say, what proves God exists and what doesn't. We look at everything and say, thank you, God, for this. And that's how we're supposed to approach science. We're supposed to say, thank you, God, for all of creation. Thank you for this universe. Now I'm going to roll up my sleeves and derive some equations and try to figure out how it all works. <laughs> oh, that's brilliantly put. Well, I, think you, I think you may have answered this next question that I had for you just now, but I'll, I'll pose it anyway and see if there's anything else you want to add. Um, I am a convert to Catholicism as well. I came from an evangelical background, uh, where, where oftentimes, like in an attempt to preserve a, a literal translation or interpretation of, of scripture, uh, traditional science is sometimes seen as a threat or it's discounted. Now, the other side of the coin, as I see it, is a purely scientific approach, which sees scripture or faith as a fable, where God is a meme, like a flying spaghetti monster. I, I'm wondering how we can walk the fine line between these two worldviews, one that sees science as the enemy of faith, and one that sees faith as kind of ridiculous in light of science. Yeah, it, well, you know, where I, what I, the story I told with my son JJ is kind of the end of that journey, because I started out like that too. I mean, before I became Catholic, I was totally bought, I totally bought into the scientism. I didn't call it that, but I, I totally thought science was all there was. And I mean, I got a PhD in chemistry. That was my life goal to get a job and work as a chemist. And I really did. I, I knew a lot about atoms and how to manipulate them. And I really did look at everything around me as these little particles clicking away, doing their thing. I mean, I even called, I laugh about it now, but I was totally serious at the time. And it's actually kind of sad but it demonstrates that that worldview of scientism, atheistic scientism. I, I actually considered my own children at the time as these highly complex composite systems of atoms <laughs> and molecules doing their things. And I did have this cognitive tension because, because I knew I loved them, but, but I really, it, it caused a lot of, you know, I won't get into all of it, but it, it messes with your head when you look at things that way. You really don't understand love. 
and you you've, you have these feelings and these yearnings, but you don't know what to do with it. And sometimes, you know, when you're raising a child, that's not the time to be testing that stuff out. You you need to know what love is when you have a kid. <laughs> and it, it was it is a very serious danger in crisis. But I came around to fa- to get back to your question. I'm sorry, I got sidetracked there. I came I came to the other side of the coin, so to speak, because at that time I I did. I didn't think it was rational to believe in anything spiritual. But when I granted assent to the truths of faith, because that is what you have to do when you say, I believe, you say, I believe there's a God. I mean, you have to decide to believe. And when I granted assent to the truths of faith, and when I practiced the doctrines of the Catholic Church in the laboratory of my life, so to speak, when I went to Mass and prayed and tried to follow the will of God, um, then it was like my mind was open. They say dogmas are like lights along the path. It it really was like the lights were turned on in my dark mind. And it was, I've explained it before, like I saw a greater reality. It was kind of like if you lived in your house all your life as a kid, you know, the first time you go on an airplane and you fly up over the town where you always lived and you see it from a greater height and you never, you never, it's the same town you grew up in, but suddenly you see it in a bigger context and, and you appreciate it so much more like, Oh, it's part of this bigger world. Well, studying dogmatic theology was the same way with me. It's like we, we observe things in nature and we figured out mathematical laws to describe it, but that's not all there is. Science actually begs a bigger question. Like who created all of this? Who made these laws? Who's the lawgiver? And then when I understood Christianity and Christ and his love for us and the real, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist and, and why the church carefully works out, just like we do in science, we make observations and derive equations. In theology, we, we take divine revelation, what God said, and we derive doctrine from that in very much the same way. And it, it's like, oh, there's, there's more. There's, it's bigger reality is bigger than I ever thought. Um, So now, learning about theology and philosophy and science, it's a million more times exciting than when I was just doing science. So that's, I mean, that's how you get around it. I mean, you have to get somebody to listen to everything, I guess, that I just said to convince them that it's okay to see more than science. Like, you're not crazy if you think there's more to life than science. (laughs) And so... um, you just have to, you have to get people to see a bigger picture. So what about the, the a faith perspective that sees science as the enemy, that sees science as trying to attack or disprove God or disprove this creation idea or creator idea? Uh, you know, the Christian or the Catholic that just see is antagonistic towards science because all science does is threaten their their position what would you say to that kind of a person i think i get more frustrated with those people than i do with atheists today um i mean i just see atheists as as having a chained intellect they won't let themselves see a bigger picture but when a christian does that it's kind of i mean seriously i don't i don't i don't mean to be ugly or anything but it's like do you not believe the creed when you pray it like, do you, are you talking out of both sides of your mouth? That's what I think. Like, because how, if you understand that science is the study of the handiwork of God, why would any Christian be afraid of science? I, I think, I honestly think that maybe for those people that comes from maybe doubt, maybe there's some doubt there or that God is truly the creator of this vast universe that science studies. And there is, there is, you know, I've written a lot about it. I don't really have time to get into it, but scientism, to give it a word, this belief that science has all the answers, it's very much a thing in our cultures today. And that's because, I mean, it makes sense. Science exploded in the last 200 years. I mean, we, if you read a textbook 100 years ago, there's nothing in there like what we know now about the atom. Um, that, you know, remember plum pudding model when you learned that in school and stuff that the atom <laughs> used to look like plum pudding model. I mean, that 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 was not that long ago that people thought that. And so quantum mechanics just hit the stage in the last really 
50, 60 years. And so here we have these mobile phones now and Skype to do interviews and talk from two different countries. And, you know, we just take all of that for granted. But it makes sense that people would come to the conclusion that science has all the answers because it has provided us with a lot of knowledge in a very short amount of time. And sometimes I think that Christians are affected or maybe succumb to the scientism of our time without realizing it. Like they're giving science too much credit. Science cannot disprove God. That's like saying the lasagna disproves that mom exists just because it's on the table and you didn't see her cook it. it <laughs> science cannot disprove God. And, and there is nothing to fear in science. And I, you know, to be honest, I don't remember what it's like not to love chemistry because that was sort of always my thing. But I guess if you, I guess science can be intimidating sometimes. And, and I think that is kind of the problem we have with young earth creationism and even with intelligent design. And I've had discussions with Michael Behe. So, um, you know, he knows how I, how I uh, view this. I think all the Christians that are set out to disprove especially evolution, because they think that's how they have to prove that God exists. They're just, they're fight, they're, they're getting down on the level with the atheists and fighting. They're, they're succumbing to scientism in the same way, and they don't need to do that. Hmm, that's really, wow, that's really, I have not heard that put that way before. It's very interesting, because ultimately they're both trying to use science in their way to prove God. Oh, that's very interesting. They're giving science too much credit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well said. Okay, so on that note, why don't we begin at the beginning with the Big Bang? And this is a bit of a different, uh, I mean, it's the same thing, but a, a twist on this here, because I've spoken to quite a few philosophers on this show who note, and this surprised me, that there's something unique taking place right now between philosophy and theology and, and science when it comes to the origin of the universe. And I mean, that's the idea that mainstream science seems to point to a singular point of creation. And Christianity, uh, as you said earlier, actually, has always held this to be true, this to be God, even when other religions had different stories of creation. So it seems like, and this is what I've been hearing from these Catholic philosophers I've talked to, that we're at an interesting intersection in time when science seems to support some of these major claims of Christianity. So what would you say about that idea? I would repeat something Father Yaki said, that that's about like sticking your finger inside the lion's cage. They, <laughs> they need to be very careful about doing that. And, and here's why. I mean, I have given this a lot of thought, and, um, and, I, I, and I can defend what I'm saying, but they, they should not do that. I mean, when the Big Bang theory was proposed, we know by by um, Father Georges Lemaitre, I can never say his name quite right, Lemaitre. When he proposed the Big Bang theory, he was a he was a priest. He was a Catholic priest. He did not propose the Big Bang because he needed science to agree with what he held in faith. That wasn't why he came to that. He actually fought against it. In his time, in the 1930s, 1920s, and 30s. The prevailing cosmological theory was that the universe is infinitely expanding. Um, it was, a, what was it, an increasing radius of, yeah, it was a constantly, a variable radius and uniform density, ever increasing radius, expanding universe. But it, but the conclusion to that is that, the, that time is infinite and the universe is infinite. And that was the prevailing cosmological theory in his time. And he he followed where data and reason and his equations led him and posited that primeval atom, the Big Bang, the, the very first particle that exploded. He posited that, and people accused him of, of doing that just because he had to make his science match his faith. And, that, and he was adamant that's not why he was doing it. He already believed there was a beginning in time, even when cosmology suggested otherwise. There's, there's a story during that time, Pope Pius Twelve made a similar statement to like what you just said before about, look, science is proving what we hold in faith. 
he called it a primordial fiat lux, L-U-X, um, when he was talking to, um, well, who was he addressing? He was addressing a plenary session of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. And Father Lemaitre, who was a high-ranking member of the Academy, went and talked to the science advisor to the Pope and basically said to tell him to stop doing that. And the reason he wanted him to stop saying, look, science is proving what we've always held in faith. He wanted him to stop doing that because Father Lamette knew that scientific theories, and this is the key, scientific theories are always subject to revision and change. Hmm. And that's because we don't know everything. So if you're going to hang your faith hat on a scientific theory, be careful because here we are today, and there are still theories that posit a universe that didn't have a beginning, uh, you know, a primeval atom. There are other theories besides the Big Bang. And, and should any of those ever theories ever once again become into fashion as the prevailing theory of the day, that's going to sound to a lot of people like, oh, look, you thought science was proving your faith. Now science is proving something else. How about that? See, you shouldn't have, you know, why did your faith depend on science? And so some people disagree with me, and, and I get that, but I know how much scientific theories can change over time. And I would, I, I warn people, don't, ba don't ever, you'll never hear me say that any one scientific theory is proving that God exists. And the reason is, I think all of science points to God. Um, in my book, I go into the difference between inductive and deductive reasoning. And we can say that all of science points to God because the order in the universe and, you know, the fact that rainbows exist and we can see rainbows, the fact that water is necessary for life on Earth, the fact that electrons do their thing spinning around in the atoms, all of that stuff points to an, a creator who created an ordered universe. So it's an inductive kind of proof. So you don't ever single out one thing. You just say everything points towards God. Whereas a deductive proof is more saying, oh, there, this science points towards a beginning, uh, a beginning, therefore science is proving God. Don't go that way with it. Yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate that, that caution. I mean, the cautionary note that you approach this with, because it would be easy to say, hey, look, this, the Big Bang is a prevailing theory. This points to a singular creation event. We know that there's a singular creator from philosophy, so it must be God. So this, you know, you get stuck in that in that science proving your your faith. And like you say, we we have to be cautious about doing that because that science could change. You know, I really that's a really important point to underscore, I think, because I think the temptation would be as it is. I mean, I can remember being a, a new a brand new Christian. I uh, you know, I had a kind of a coming to Christ uh, moment in high school when I was first an evangelical Christian, and suddenly I'm seeing all these things for the very first time, and I'm like, oh, look, this proves God is real. This proves God is real. This this theological point, or this philosophical argument, or this thing here, and you're grasping at everything you see to, to prove your faith. And this is the same kind of thing on a, on a different level. If we hang our hat on one scientific theory, as sound as it is, well, hey, that could change, and then we're left holding... Well, I guess we're left hatless, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or a pegless yeah. for, for our hat. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really it interesting. Uh, you know, and it, that's very reasonable. You know, you could easily ha have sat there and said, oh, no, this definitely proves that God exists and we should embrace this. But no, your, your approach is very reasonable. It's very refreshing. Oh, thank you. A lot of people disagree with me on that, but I, I, um, I, I allow that. So here's what I do. I do have a, I have a class, another class I teach, a course, a college course that I teach. It's, it's reading science in the light of faith. And I teach students to do something that you can actually extend beyond science. You can extend it to parenting or anything where we have to deal with the secular world. I teach them how to know what the church teaches. So be firm and secure in your dogma and your doctrine. But then when you look at a scientific paper or any kind of scientific conclusion or any kind of parenting advice or whatever, learn to put things into piles. What is consistent with what the church teaches? So the Big Bang theory is consistent with what the church teaches. That, that's different. You know, that's just saying, okay, it's consistent. Learn to say what is 
contrary to church teaching. So in, in evolution, people say there, you know, the human mind evolved from matter. No, that contradicts church teaching. That can't be true. They're wrong philosophically to have that interpretation of the science. Just know how to say that and explain why to people. You can evangelize that way. And then in the third pile is just put the stuff Hmm, I don't know. Might might the scientific conclusion, if true, shed more light on what we know about faith, or might you know, might it change how we interpret things? There's a lot of really exciting dialogue to be had in that middle ground. But you got to be ready to say this 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 is consistent, this is contrary, and here's why. And then you're really ready with a razor sharp intellect to to dive into those difficult pressing razor edge questions of our day. Oh, that's a great way of looking at it. That's a great theory to apply to all kinds of of things in our secular world. I love that. Okay, I want to get into the weeds a little bit, if we can, because on one hand, the Bible gives us a picture of this triune God creating the universe in a moment of time. You know, we call this the the Big Bang or whatever we want to say. And science supports that the Catholic Church affirms that, you know, like you say, this is this fits with church teaching. Um, and, you know, unlike some faith traditions uh, in the Christian scheme of things, we don't have to take the creation story as a literal seven-day event. But then we encounter some of the other stories in the Genesis narrative, like Adam and Eve and the introduction of sin and death. Can you give us any clue uh, as to how we are to think about or understand the reality of these things in terms of evolutionary science? Yeah, I have a lot to say about that too, but I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> um, it's a big subject. It's probably the most pressing faith and science question of our time. Um, you ha- you have to really be grounded in what, what four-year-old JJ said, you know, <laughs> that that nature is creation. God created everything. And we say, bless us, O Lord, and these thy atoms. And we look out at the world and discover what we can find and try to come up with theories to explain it all. That's what evolutionary theory is. I mean, we, we can see that genetic mutation happens. We can see that nature helps select which, which, um, you know, which, um, offspring or the reproduction rates of populations. We can see that nature affects that. We can see that genes change from one generation to the next slightly at times, and that affects the phenotype. But we don't know everything about what happens and how the diversity of life came to be. Evolution, and I, I'll just try to say the key point here evolutionary theory even with our understanding of genetics down even to the molecular and atomic levels and how dna is structured and how it makes proteins nothing in evolutionary theory could ever 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 find adam and eve so let's just assume that really and truly adam and eve began to exist you know whether they poof appeared as full-grown individuals or eve came out of the rib of adam or they were human zygotes in a non-human womb you know whatever weird theory you want to come up with about how adam and eve came to be let's just say they actually did exist at one point in time in the history of this planet Evolutionary theory would never be able to find them, even if they did exist like that. So there's lots of theories about, you know, the first man was really an entire population. I I don't like those theories because evolution just simply can't find it. Uh, If you're looking at genetics and evolutionary theory, it's only refinable down to thousands of at the at the finest thousands of people in a population or thousands of organisms in a population over thousands of years evolutionary theory simply can't find a single individual or two in a single lifetime it just it's like it's like using it's like using a big bulldozer and trying to find a single grain of sand on a beach you just can't do it it's the wrong tool it's not capable of doing it there's a limit to our human knowledge so Instead of, I don't, I don't go into all these theories about, you know, evolutionary science says there was at most a first population of humans. 
um, evolutionary theory actually says there were several first populations of humans on opposite sides of the continent. So, you know, instead of instead of trying to make that fit what we hold in faith, because that's going to confuse children a whole lot. I just say, let it go. Let it go. You can both believe that Adam and Eve existed and you can study evolution to your heart's content and learn all you can about it today. Because this moment in 2019, we still don't know everything there is to be learned. Um, And, you know, that way, by looking at it that way, you can use the St. Joseph Baltimore Catechism for first communicants in that first page when, you know, it says God made everything. And then the second page, it has a picture of naked woman and man with a lion. You can still, <laughs> you can still believe that um, and, and say God could have started humanity with a miracle. Now, that gets into some more nuances because some people will say, well, that's concordism. You're, you're trying to say you know that it was a miracle. No, I'm not saying I know it was a miracle. I'm saying if you can't rule out a miracle, then we shouldn't rule out a miracle. And we can't, so we shouldn't. So it's still possible that Adam and Eve really existed just like we've envisioned it and that from them, the rest of the human race grew and that that preserves original sin that preserves the unity of the human race um and and you know and by looking at it that way and saying it's possible there still could be some further theological development where we do start to understand that maybe the first man was a population i just don't think we're there yet and if you start trying to explain that to a seventh grader who always believed adam and eve and now they go to biology class and you start trying to explain that what they're going to read is, oh, God is just like Santa Claus. <laughs> they're going <laughs> to they're they're going to be confused. So I just that that's how I explain it, and I I think it's I, I have an explanation because I think we need to have an explanation for our children as they grow older. Yeah, and, and I think your approach is a very humble one. I mean, it demonstrates humility towards faith and towards science. I mean, you're pushing up against the limits of science, and you have to kind of humbly admit that. But then you also approach it in a sense that allows for the, the mystery of God to be at work. I see it as a very humble approach, I think. Yeah, and we, we have to be humble. I mean, that... We really, that that's another problem, like, don't get me started. That's another, like, problem <laughs> in education today, though. You know, you, you'll probably see this with your kids. It's like the way kids are taught is they have to find that one right answer, and they can't stop till they get the one right answer. That works very little, like, in math class and maybe in some physics classes. But if you really want to teach your kids how to think critically and deeper about the mysteries of life, they got to stop looking for that one right answer. And it's not kids that do it. Adults do it all the time. You got to stop looking for that one right answer. I mean, that's what practicing virtue means. It means even like parents and we're trying to find the one right answer to fix our kids. Guess what? You're not going to find it. You have to accompany them in their life and their journey and practice virtue, meaning you got to think about what's right and do what's right the best you can and admit it if you fail and try again. And that that's kind of how the scientific method goes, too. So it, you know, by teaching your kids how to dive into mystery responsibly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I have a friend, very good friend, who's an evangelical Christian. He's a teacher, um, actually an engineer who retrained as a a teacher because he wanted a job that was more fulfilling, he was was passionate about. And he teaches science and he he instills, in in a secular school board, mind you, he instills this sense of wonder in these kids because... You know, you talk about atoms, you talk about the, you know, the creation point of the universe, you talk about the order of the universe, you know, and and kids in grade five or grade six will ask questions like, well, where does this come from? And he can't get on a soapbox and evangelize to these kids in the public school system, but he can instill this, well, you know what? That's a great question. Like, keep keep asking those questions, right? Yeah. That's a great position, I think, for us to have as Catholics. And it and it's a great way to evangelize too because if you can if you can talk to an atheist like just say hey I love science too let's talk about it and you know I I 
just like I look at a meal and pray, I'm going to look at all of nature and say, thank you, God, for creating this. But you, the atheist, don't do that. So anyway, let's talk about it. Because if you accompany that atheist through all that awe and wonder, at some point, it's kind of like you climb the mountain together and you get to that cliff and it's like, okay, atheist, are you ready to look out there and ask the biggest question of all? Who made all this? Like, who's the greatest chemist ever? <laughs> if you, it, I think there's a lot of evangelization. I think it's sad. That's why I get so frustrated when Christians get hung up on the conflict myth or trying to disprove science because they're afraid it's going to threaten their faith. We're missing a huge opportunity to evangelize in the modern world. Yeah, that's oh, that's so important to underscore, and I, and I can hear your sense of passion in in evangelizing in that way. <laughs> that's fantastic. So, yeah. there's a trend in society to I think discount Christianity and Catholicism on the basis of some of its miraculous claims. You know, it goes something like, well, miracles don't happen, and Christianity is based on miracles. You know, its chief miracle is the resurrection. Therefore, Christianity can't possibly be true. How can a Catholic respond to a worldview that denies the possibility of miracles and therefore denies the plausibility or the reasonableness of being Catholic? You have to pluck that one out by its root. Like, if you just stop at trying to defend miracles, the, the other person's not going to be on board. You have to get all the way back down to that. That's why... I was thinking so hard about my book when I was writing it. You have to get back down to what JJ said. <laughs> That's why the book's dedicated to him. <laughs> you have to you have to explain to the other person that look, my worldview hangs together thoroughly. It it allows for humility, it allows for mystery, it allows for seeing big philosophy, theology, science, all of it. It all fits together. So look, if if we look at the world as creation, and science is the study of the handiwork of God, and we know from science that God created an unimaginably ordered universe down to some couple hundred subatomic particles that have crazy laws that we can't even, that no human would have ever thought up. If, if we believe in a God that big and that amazing, then it's only one more logical step, and it's the only logical conclusion you can come to. That God is also perfectly capable of working a miracle whenever he chooses. And we don't believe in some watchmaker God. We believe in Jesus Christ, flesh and blood, second person of the Holy Trinity, became man and died for our sins and was resurrected and went to heaven, you know, is opened the door for all of us to get to heaven for our salvation. God would only work a miracle, meaning matter won't quite follow the laws of nature as he created it, he'll he'll make it do something special. He only does that for the sake of our salvation. It's God telling us, I'm here, I'm right here. And that, if you have that worldview from the ground up, miracles are the only logical conclusion you can come to. It, it wouldn't make any sense to say God did all of that, oh, but he's never going to work a miracle. No, that doesn't make sense. So you, you just have to explain the whole worldview and how it fits together. And what the atheist is left doing then is trying to make sense of his or her worldview, which you can't. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fantastic way of putting it. You know, if, the, if God set these, um, these laws in motion, then one of the most fantastical ways he can demonstrate himself is to, is to say, violate those laws, is to step outside of those laws and say, hey, hey, guys. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, that's what's so fascinating to me. And when I became a Catholic, I suddenly had access to such rich theology of uh, Jesus's death and resurrection that I, I hadn't had access to as an evangelical. I hadn't known it existed. But I mean, that that is, say, like, I mean, the chief law of nature that God steps into and violates, right, is coming mm -hmm. back from the dead. Yeah, right. And, it, and it's yeah. such, it's such a <laughs> such a profound exclamation mark on that, right? And I've heard I've heard Catholic and Christian apologists who have confronted uh, you know non Christians in in debates who said, well, the resurrection Jesus can't be real because resurrection is not possible, you know, but but hey, you know, well, it's not possible by the normal laws of, of science, but if you believe that God is what holds all of science 
together. It's it's the it's the ultimate thing for him to do. <laughs> yeah. Why would he not do that? I mean, he's trying to tell us that he is the one who gives life. He is life itself. Yeah. So, so, so you already touched on this, and I have I have two more questions here for you. This one was an interesting one. I think that you you mm-hmm. walked us to that that mountaintop with the atheist, and that reminded me of something I, I wanted to ask you because. I one of my most commented on articles that I've ever written, and they're interesting comments because they attracted a lot of atheists <laughs> and people who wanted to debate the atheists. But yeah. I, I wrote it based on the idea of looking at the complexity of the created created world, and, and you touched on this. and And my my uh, provocative title of the article was that it was easier to be a Christian than hold this kind of mind bending atheistic worldview. Because as a Christian, I can much more easily explain the order in the universe. And if I'm an atheist, I have to kind of, well, well, well how do I do this? And you've, you've definitely touched on this. You know, you mentioned walking that, kind of walking that uh, atheist or that agnostic person up to the edge of the, of the cliff, not pushing them over, but letting them observe the, the yeah. natural world. What, what do you say to these kind of, these kind of non-believers in the face of all this beauty and complexity? They, I, that has been me before. I mean, when I worked in a chemistry laboratory trying to replicate, simulate photosynthesis, was trying to replicate it on nanomaterials, I, I had a moment where I looked out my third floor laboratory window at a big tree, a ginkgo biloba tree, and it hit me that what I'm trying to do in the state-of-the-art laboratory doesn't even glimpse a fraction of what's just happening out there in the chloroplast on all those leaves on the tree. And, and that, that was the cliff for me. That was the mountain I climbed and I got to that cliff. I climbed the mountain of my scientific career and I got to that cliff. And that day I literally made the choice to turn away from that tree and I actually cussed it because that's before I was Catholic and I had bad language. <laughs> I got so mad at that tree because I wasn't going to graduate from PhD school if I couldn't do something of what that tree was doing. And I knew I didn't have a prayer, but I got mad and I turned away. And I think a lot of atheists, they may, they may get right to that point where they need to grant assent to the truths of faith, but they just won't look up. They're just, they're not, they're not ready they're not going to look up. They're going to keep looking down at science and they're not going to look up and out and beyond and ask what's that bigger reality because it's not really an intellectual thing. It's a scary thing because a, if you're a perfectionist, you're afraid maybe, you know, if I admit God exists and God loves me and Jesus Christ knows everything about me, that's scary because a, you may not live up to being a good Christian. I remember thinking that. I, I don't I don't know if I'll be a very good Christian, so I don't think I even want to try. But then when I got over that, the next thing was very hard was admitting my sins. It's like suddenly you go from a life of thinking your atoms and molecules are doing their thing and none of it really matters to thinking rethinking your entire life and and you learn to be humble and you, you have to then admit your sins and confess them and be sorry for them and change the way you live. And I think that's what gets a lot of atheists. I mean, and so what do we do as Christians? I don't, I don't think it does us any good to make fun of them or argue with them or, you know, debate is okay as long as it's pleasant. Like, well, you're, you have the podcast called the cordial Catholic. So you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm trying. I'm (laughs) trying. Debate with them in pleasant but if we if we can't be confident in our, enough in our faith, like you are doing so admirably, if we can't be confident enough in our faith to befriend these atheists and say, hey, look, you know, if you ever have questions, I'm here. This is how I see things. This is my faith. This is how I live my faith. And I can do it. You know, I'm here if you ever need to ask questions. And I, you know, I've been doing this for a while now. And I have had several atheists come back to me after years have passed and say, you know, I thought about I thought about what you were saying about Christianity and science and or I thought about, you know, and and, and sometimes it's even I, I thought about it and when I when I saw you living the life of faith, I I thought maybe I could do it too. And I had the same exact thought. I remember when it was time to grant assent to the truth of faith to say, "Okay, I believe." 
I remembered all the Catholics I had seen living a life of faith, and I thought, you know, I want what they have, and I can do this. It took courage, you know, as you know, but but I did it, and that I think that's how, again, I just come back to we're missing a huge opportunity to evangelize. Yeah, I think you've you've underscored that well, and I, I hadn't even considered that before this interview, but I, I think you're absolutely right. If if we take, I mean, this is my last question for you, but I, I think you've answered it here already. It, it, the question was, how do we integrate uh, science into our Catholic worldview? But I think y- you're living that out for, for us. And uh, I'm so grateful to have encountered your work and to have listened to you and, and, and watched you in different places because you are, you are that living apologetic of how we can evangelize with our faith and not be afraid of science. Well, thank you very much. I'm just, I'm very, you know, I, I was writing about, I was a chemist and then I was stay at home mom for 15 years. And then I was there. I started writing about, about science and I started writing about theology first cause I was studying it and I just wanted to practice communicating it. And then I started writing about faith and science cause I realized that people thought there was a conflict and now it's just it's great after 15 years of being home my husband god bless him for working so hard for so long he was able to retire early and bishop joseph strickland uh, you know and we moved to tyler to be home close to my parents and they needed an executive director for the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. So now it's kind of like, a now I'm the executive director of that, and every day I get to think about how to evangelize and teach the Catholic faith. So it, it's not even just science for me anymore, although I'll always love chemistry. But it's it's so much more than that. I mean, what greater thing can we do in a day than lead people to Christ? Yeah, oh, that's so, that's so well put. And you're you're right, and I thank you for bringing that to our attention. That science is a way we can be doing that. We not to be afraid of it, but to embrace it and and allow it to point back to God, to Christ, to that creation, right, to that Creator. Yes, faith and creation. That's brilliant. So, hey, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Where can people find out more about you and your work and your, your the student edition of your book, which is coming out shortly? Where can people go to find out more information? The easiest place is stacytrasenkos.com. I just try to, it's like my big business card. I just keep everything there um, where I'm speaking and um, my books and videos and stuff like that. So, just stacytrasenkos.com. I think if you even get close to spelling it right, Google will recognize it, I think. <laughs> I, can, I can confirm that that is true. Okay. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Well, I'll put a link to that website as well in thank the you. show notes. And thank you so much for being on this uh, podcast. I'm so grateful. It was so fantastic to talk to you. Um, thank you so much. God bless you and your family and your fantastic ministry. Thank you, and thank you for your witness and for your podcast. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cordial Catholic Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Stacy Trasankos. I hope you learned something like I did. I was truly flabbergasted at some points to hear the things she was saying. They were so interesting and so enlightening and As I mentioned in the interview, I I heard some of those things for the first time talking to her. It was amazing, fantastic, and I feel very much better armed or better equipped or better educated to be able to explain how faith and science fit together and how my faith doesn't need to rest on a particular scientific view. Well, at the same time, science doesn't need to challenge my faith. If God is the creator of all things, well, the laws and rules of science fit within his framework. It's a fantastically enlightening, fantastically unburdening perspective. Visit the show notes at thecordialcatholic.com or in the podcast app you use to find links to Stacey Trasenko's website and buy her fantastic books and listen to her lectures and all those kind of wonderful things. I'm at Cordial Catholic on Twitter. It's The Cordial Catholic on Facebook. And please send feedback to cordialcatholic at gmail.com. I love, absolutely love hearing from you. 
Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find it. Please rate it and review it if you can. That helps to push it out to new people. And make sure you tell your friends about this show too. I love when people share this show via word of mouth. That really helps it grow. Thanks to my Patreons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. Please support me there if you want to. If not, support me with your prayers and fasting. I love those too. I'm praying for you and fasting as well. See you next week and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.